Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Idaho P1s, and welcome to Kick Around Tuesday, the way less formatted podcast companion to the radio show of the same name that you listen to on Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310. The Ticket, America's favorite radio station. Hello, it is me, Peter, and we're doing something a bit different today because uh, yesterday, Monday, was the second of the two U.S. men's national team games, so we're giving Lars Sivertson the Tuesday off so that he can spend it with his lovely partner and even more lovely dog, Lola. It's pretty awesome, by the way. No, no offense, Polly. So instead, to talk about USA 1 El Salvador nil, I've brought in my good friend and American lover, Flying Eagle himself, Tyler Kern. Greetings, Tyler. Yes. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me, buddy. I'm excited. No. I'm excited. Well, you know what? This is uh, this is good timing because you're filling in for Andy this coming Saturday for the live radio show. Uh, yes. Don't look. Don't look surprised. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, what? Who? Uh, because huh? Andy's got Dallas. Because Dallas Cup starts this coming weekend, so. Mr. Dallas Cup has uh, responsibilities that he has to tend to, so Tyler will be sitting in for him. So, Tyler, uh, okay, so we're, we're into Nations League, uh, getting out of this group stage. The USA have done it. I'm always fascinated by the fact that the USA seems to struggle mightily against El Salvador. And, in fact, I was looking this up. Uh, uh, the last time the USA and El Salvador played a game that w- didn't have a one or less goal differential was over three years ago, was back in 2020, and only three times out of the last 10 times they've played each other, dating back to 2009, have they had results between the two of them that weren't by more than a single goal. And really, I felt like this game came down to, and this is going to sound so stupidly cliche, it was a game of halves, young Tyler. And, uh, and Anthony Hudson had some work to do because at the end of the first half, his three big stars, Gio, Polisic and Zendejas were all having really poor games, and yeah. he he had to do something. And credit to Mr. Hudson, he uh, he got he did just enough. He he did just enough, bringing on our our local boy Ricardo Pepe, who scored the goal. But no, I think I think you're right. And sometimes cliches are cliche because they're right. You know, like uh, in this case, it really was I think a game of of halves, you know, and I, I was actually texting some guys before the game. We saw that the uh, the betting lines for this game was USA minus one and a half, right? So the idea being that most people are going to bet that the USA is going to win by more than one goal in this case. And uh, I think if we had had the context that you just brought up about how close these games between the USA and El Salvador have been historically over the last few years, then, uh, th- then maybe some people would not have made ill-advised bets on this game. Uh, because, yeah, they're, they're always kind of tight, cagey affairs, and Hugo Perez, the uh, the coach of El Salvador, knows a lot of these U.S. players well because he's coached in the U.S. men's national team setup multiple different times, and if he does leave El Salvador, that's a guy I think probably lands in MLS somewhere because he's just an impressive, good coach who knows the U.S. setup and knows 
Uh, again, a lot of these players coach them at, at different youth levels and that sort of thing. So uh, it shouldn't be surprising to uh, to many people if you follow this U.S. team and follow El Salvador at all that this game was close and that El Salvador kind of gave the U.S. a good game. All right, put a pin in the Hugo Perez topic for a second because I want to get back yeah. to that guy. Yeah. How You know, a, a lot of the focus on the national team right now is who's going to end up getting this gig. And, you know, Hudson, I guess, in some way, shape or form is probably at least I'm sure him and his mom and his family consider himself a candidate for the gig. But, there, you know, after after what happened Friday in Grenada, where you just kind of own the game and you you did everything except score 10 goals. Right. Um, What happened in the first half, in my mind, has very, very little to do with the coach himself and everything to do with just kind of the players and the players performing. And it was, and I think and what I can't ever really quite figure out is when you have a game like you did on Friday and then you come out and play as poorly as you did in the first half, uh, you know, on Monday, how, how a coach manages past that. And, and it's really on the players to, to play better because they just were slow mm-hmm. and indecisive and, you know, they were lucky. Frankly, El Salvador didn't have a lead pretty quickly in the game. Yeah, there was the the chance that Matt Turner, I think, made the really nice kind of reaching save. Um, what was that, like third or fourth minute? Really early oh, on, right? Is that, that the chance yeah, you were talking yeah, about? Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, really early on in the game. And actually, Matt Turner had some interesting comments following the game, just that in the locker room at halftime, it wasn't a ton of coaching and it wasn't a ton of adjustments. It was players kind of looking around being like, guys, we're, we're better than this. Like, we can play better than this, to your point. Um, and, and I think... I think a lot of times we, we chalk a lot of things up to, to coaching when sometimes players just need to play better. You're right. Like Pulisic didn't look like the same player that, that played against Grenada, right? Uh, you, ever seen Christian thought... Pul- you ever seen a Christian Pulisic with a Sunday league donkey touch before? <laughs> yeah. The, yes. No, I, I, I can't think of a time when I've ever seen him have that. But you, uh, Matt Turner was just like the, the, you know, he collects what across from the left side throws it out to Pulisic, who's making a run. It just hits off the back of his heel. The kind of play that I make on a Sunday morning uh, out we of pickup. Have. Not the, we all have, not, Tyler. We all have. Yeah, not the kind of uh, touch that you often see from a you know, borderline world-class winger that plays for Chelsea. So, you know, yeah, sometimes it just comes down to player performance. All right, so I, I think one of the other kind of key talking points of this particular week has been the, you know, Geo's return to the team. Uh, Andy and I talked a lot on Saturday about body language. I know that's yeah. uh, not everybody's favorite, but it you know it felt like G- you know it Geo's best body language. It's still pretty disinterested team. But that aside, it, the, the experiment of him playing in the center more as a ten, I thought was really the most fascinating aspect of these two mm-hmm. games. And I. I Look, I, I know I'm one that has dogged on the guy a lot for a lot of what's happened over the course of the last few months. Um, I still don't think 10 is his best position. Where do you think is his best position? Uh, probably out wide on the right where he can come at people better than, you know, look, I, I just think maybe this is a byproduct of the games. Uh, I, I feel like when he's playing in that position, it just gets a little too messy and crowded. And he's got all the skill sets and stuff. I just... I I feel like he's better when he starts with space and gets to, you know, uh, use all of his wily skills to better people from that angle versus trying to get through three guys in the middle of the park. But 
Yeah. And, you know, here's the other thing. Uh, I, I thought he, he way too quickly got frustrated with not getting the ball enough and was constantly yeah. – I mean, you know, we talk about this with Jesus Ferreira, who's playing as nine, obviously, uh, for Dallas, getting frustrated and coming back to midfield to try to find the ball and how that messes everything up. And we saw Reyna doing a lot of that too. Yeah, yeah. The thing – my counterpoint would be that I think that whoever the next U.S. coach is – is probably going to be, or should at least think about, how do I get the most of our best players on the field in positions where they can succeed? And of all of the guys that do play out wide, the one that you could move inside to have more attacking firepower, let's say, is Gio Reyna, yeah. right? Like, you're probably not going to move Pulisic inside. Like, we've seen that before. He's At this point, he's just an out-and-out winger. Tim Weah, the same way. Um, maybe Zendayas, maybe, but I, I kind of don't think so. Of all of those guys, it's it's Reyna, right? So if you're looking to get more attacking players on the field and kind of do a little bit more of what Anthony Hudson has done, which is play that double pivot with Tyler Adams out, kind of makes sense, right? It's Musa and McKinney in the middle, kind of in that double pivot midfield spot with Reyna yeah. ahead of them. Then you can have a Zendayas outright or a Timothy Weah, and then you have more of your best attacking players all on the field at the same time. Now, granted... They'll never all be healthy at the same time ever because uh, that's just our lot in life as U.S. men's national team fans, uh, something you and I have talked quite a bit about in the past. But um, but I, I, I can see the idea there, and maybe it's just repetitions. Um, but it's also hard because he, he doesn't he doesn't really play inside all that much for Dortmund when he does play. So it, no, I can go so back I and forth on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've it. got a question for you because you are, are the Bundesliga correspondent. You watch Dortmund quite a, mm-hmm. a, a lot more than I do. When Dor- when Reyna plays for Dortmund, do you see him doing the leading hand gesture, hey, pass me the ball here stuff for Dortmund that you see him do constantly for the national team? You, you see him, you know, request the ball, which you love to see, right? We don't have too many sure. Americans who, like, just, like, give me the ball right now. I am going to do something yes. with it. Like, I love I love that aspect of it. But you don't see him show the visible frustration with, like, Marco Royce uh, or, like, Julian Brandt or uh, Jude Bellingham, the way that you see it with some of the American players, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think that there's a, there is a difference there where I think maybe because of his background, upbringing, his family – has always felt like maybe the U.S. a spot with the U.S. is more of a birthright. This is getting into the drama, but no, you don't you don't see that as much with Dortmund as you see it with the U.S. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because uh, there are moments in the game where I see him gesturing to get a ball, and I think to myself, "Man, that kid's soccer IQ is off the charts," and he's just thinking mm-hmm. so much faster than all of his teammates can react. That by the time they figure out, oh, Gio's right, I need to pass him the ball, the opportunity has passed by. And there's a couple of moments in particular where he's making runs in behind, and there seems to be an obvious just little touch. And whoever it was, Zendejas or or, uh, Dest or whoever it is that doesn't give him the ball, you can tell he gets frustrated by that. And and over the course of whatever, how many minutes he was in the game, it began to add up more and more and more. and there's a know. there was a specific moment with Eunice Musa where he could have slipped him into like the right side of the box. He delays, doesn't play the pass, ends up playing almost the exact same pass to Zendejas just like a second or two later. And then yeah. it's the play where Zendejas had the chip to the back post that missed by you know just a couple of feet. It was a, it was a fun little play, but the the pass to Reina was there early and quicker, and Reina made the run, and Musa just didn't 
I don't know if he didn't see it or just didn't recognize it in time. Uh, but you're right. Like those those opportunities are there, and it just feels like Rain is just maybe a beat ahead of people sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't want to dig on Geo too much. Uh, overall, I thought solid. Uh, not the uh, not the wizardly performances in these two games. I think we were all hoping for. Really, what we wanted to get out of Geo more than anything else is. Uh, everybody's getting along. He doesn't seem like there's a lot of um, after effect with him personality-wise, and we just keep moving forward with that whole thing. Well, uh, and and he had the shot that just smashed off of the post before the U.S. scored right. the goal, right? And so yeah. just like a little reminder that he can do things that I don't think any really, anybody else really in the player pool does, and just creating that little bit of space for a shot you know, he's he's still a very, very special player. Everything else aside, if you get that guy engaged and playing the way that he can play, then you've got a really special talent on your hands, and that can't be lost amongst all the other crap. No, and the irony of that particular moment is is that in this in the course of the sequence of the buildup of that, he had not one but two options to pass off for probably easy goals, yet he yeah. took the hard one. And if he had been the player in the other end of those two options, didn't get the ball, you would have gotten that. Yes, the hand-waving yeah. thing. That's okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm still convinced he learned that whole hand-waving thing from Erling Holland because I've seen Holland do that exact same thing a lot oh, yeah. over the years. So, uh, <laughs> all right, so you we've mentioned uh, Mr. Zim. Dejas, another Dallas product, by the way, multiple That's times right. here. And I was really excited to see him start. But boy, was I disappointed in his performance <laughs> last night. I I was as well. Um, but I do think that he... Look, I, I don't think that you're bringing Zendejas in thinking he's going to be a starter for this team all the time. But can he represent maybe an upgrade over who you've had as depth options on the wing in the past? Yes. Does he represent an upgrade over Jordan Morris, for instance? You or know, Ariola. Like, oh yeah, or Paul Ariola, or you know, one of these other guys that has consistently been brought in. A, a Christian Roldan, for instance, was kind of always like the the utility knife winger off the bench. Does Zendejas represent an upgrade over those guys? I still think so, um, even though last night was not his best performance. So I, I, I totally agree with you that I was disappointed uh, in what we saw last night. But you, you know what I thought was weird about his performance is he was, he was um, dispossessed of the ball in one-on-one situations way too easily and numerous times. <laughs> and I thought that was really weird for a guy that plays in the Mexican League because all of the duels – and this is going to sound weird, and maybe this is just me being ridiculous. The deals, the duels, and the situations where he was getting dispossessed felt like very Concacafy Liga MX moments, if that makes any sense. The way that the, yeah. the, the Salvadorans were challenging him, and he just seemed surprised by that, and and that kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, and you're thinking, for a guy, yeah, you're thinking for a guy that plays in Mexico, maybe you should expect these types of challenges, right? Yes, it's kind of yes. where your head's at. Yeah. I, I get that. I, I wonder if there's a lack of familiarity with teammates just because he hasn't been with the team all that long and hasn't yeah. played with these guys very often. And so there's just he's just having to wait like a beat longer to know where people are as opposed to maybe at club level he knows. Um, that's if, if I were going to make an excuse for him, it'd be that. But no, I was, I was surprised by that as well. But I think overall I'm, I'm excited he's with he's in this player pool and – happy that he's a part of this group moving forward now officially cap tied to the u.s so yes uh, you know that's that's something for a guy that we all thought was a, a lost cause not that long ago um and, and already committed to mexico and then thanks to some 
clerical errors now ends up playing for the U.S. again. I, you know, uh, I love to see that. The clerical error. Now, love it. Uh, before well, as we finish out talking about the first half, this is a weird thing to complain about because I'm not sure I've ever been able to say this about the United States men's national team, but I got frustrated in the fact that the team collectively just seemed to refuse to want to just try to put the ball on frame and seem more interested in passing it around the box and trying to do the nicest combination play to set up a tap-in goal. And it's, it's something you typically complain about, like Arsenal or Man City or something like that. And uh, you just kind of wanted them to just, hey, give somebody the ball and let them run it goal, which, by the way, is how they turned out to win the game. Uh, but uh, it is weird to complain about the United States futzing about too much, isn't it? Hey, does that is that a function of winning seven one the previous game? And you think Maybe. this should be easy, and you know, and then come to find out, like, oh, you can't just pass the ball into the back of the net every time you want a goal. Um, I wondered if it was if it was that. I will say that I think uh, I was I was happy to see Zendejas on set piece delivery because I thought, especially in the World Cup, Pulisic was not great, and so I, happy to see somebody else. And I thought that there were. There were a couple of opportunities, right, for McKinney to get headed goals and, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, no, for the most part, it felt like, guys, why are we, why are we trying to make this too fancy? Like, hit, just hit it hard towards the, <laughs> towards yeah, the net, Yeah, somebody right? just shoot uh, the ball. Somebody just shoot it, yes. Yeah, yes. So there were so many. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting because one of the, one of the things that uh, Andy and I talked about on Friday uh, that I thought was a byproduct of playing a team like Grenada uh, mm -hmm. I was a bit surprised, although I'm not really sure they have a natural replacement, is just how much this team really depends defensively on Tyler Adams. Because without yeah. a natural six in either one of these starting 11s, uh, the U.S. did get caught in transition uh, more times against El Salvador. There was more than too many times against Grenada, uh, even if it's only three or four, but that's still too many. But those are all byproducts of not having a natural six in that position. So the idea that you have two, essentially two box-to-box -box midfielders in Weston and in Eunice playing that, I think also probably exacerbates that whole passing about kind of deal. But at some mm -hmm. point, I want one of those two guys just to shoot from distance when they recycle the ball out high, just shoot it, just get it in the box, and they don't yeah. do that. Uh, and, I, and, and just to kind of put a fine point on the the uh, blathering I'm doing right now is I really hope they figure out who they can use as a natural six other than uh, Tyler Adams when they play against an opponent that is going to require them to have a real defensive midfielder out there. Well, and I just saw this come across Twitter that Tyler Adams had surgery on his hamstring. I didn't know that. Oh, no. Uh, here's the tweet from The Athletic. It came out. One minute ago, Leeds United have suffered a fresh injury blow after U.S. men's national team midfielder Tyler Adams was forced to go under, undergo surgery on a hamstring injury. So there you go. Set He's for extended for absence. Season. I mean, you'd have you kind of think so, right? Oh, dude, that sucks. And yeah, if there is a spot on the field where the U.S. does not have just a ready-made replacement, I think Tyler Adams is the most irreplaceable player for yes. the U.S. men's national team. That's a that's a tough one. So. I think he's the most irreplaceable player in the pool. And like you said, if he's not going to be there and they're going to play a double pivot, you know, the, the two box-to-box -box guys, then there has to be coordination there also between who, who goes and who stays. Because yeah. both of those players, Musa and McKinney, are used to having that safety blanket in Tyler Adams behind them who just covers so much ground and just eats up tackles. So not having yeah, well, him is, uh, is a problem. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, it gets back to the thing that you talked about earlier, which is what if Tyler Adams had been available for this particular sequence of games? Who do you Mm -hmm. take off the field? Because now if you're going to play Geo out there, does Geo now go out and play wide and you play a 4-3? Like, like it just changes everything. And it is a weird place. Again, we talked a lot about this in the World Cup. It is a weird place to have an embarrassment of midfield riches. Um, which the U.S. kind of has because they have more players than they do spots in a star- in, in an, on a field. No, it's 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 true, and I love the Moose McKinney Adams midfield, right? Uh, lots of people yeah. do, but I don't think it can be a golden calf, you know, that we are unwilling to sacrifice uh, in the name of maybe playing better soccer sometimes. And so, um, yeah, and, and look, good countries. The best countries in the world have great players who don't start, who don't play. And yes. if the U.S. wants to be in that tier, then maybe at some point you say Weston or Eunice. Like, we love you. You're a fantastic player, but you're not part of our starting 11 game in, game out all the time because we need this. This is how we're going to choose to play. We're going to have an extra attacker on the field. We're going to have more of an attacking presence through the midfield, and it's going to be Geo or it's going to be somebody else. But... No, it's it's an it's an interesting problem for whoever the next coach is to solve. How do you get your best players on the field at the same time? Do you want to go with a Moose and McKinney Adams midfield? But I don't think it can be. I think for a lot of people in the fan base, it is a oh, anytime all three of those guys are healthy and available, they should they should all be starting. I don't think we can think of it that way. I think we need to be a little bit more flexible in our thinking. Well, we can uh, hope that about the next manager uh, for sure. Okay, so uh, at halftime, I'm saying to myself, man, this is Hudson's opportunity to kind of show his managerial chops. Is he brave enough to make a change now because he kind of needs to? Or at the very least, Mm -hmm. can he do it quickly enough to affect the game positively? He subs in Brendan Aronson and Ricardo Pepe. And it takes Weston McKinney all of about 37 seconds to find Pepe uh, who ends up scoring a goal that for any of us <clears throat> from the Dallas area that paid any attention to the academy uh, have seen him score that exact same goal more times than I can count in my lifetime. But boy, again, just put the ball on the frame kind of moment, and it was classic Pepe. And I just I can't tell you how delighted I was to see that kid score that goal. It was awesome, right? And. You're right. We've seen that run a thousand times, right? Where he he kind of starts off just on the shoulder of the center back, just makes that run right between the center back and the left back for El Salvador. Beautiful pass by Weston McKinney, right? I don't know that enough is being made of the the pass. The recognition to play the ball. um, And then Pepe really doing a great job. And I think a lot of people... Um, we'd maybe be surprised at how strong he is sometimes, but the way he holds off the defender who's doing everything he can to try to disrupt that shot and just still just calmly chip it over the keeper. Just, he's an assassin, man. You love to see it. You love, and yeah. we've, we've seen it a thousand times, but I don't know that everybody in the U S men's national team fan base has seen it as often as we have. And so for us, we're like, that's a, that is a peppy goal. Like you can mint that. That is a peppy goal. Um, not everyone has seen that though. So I love that he got to kind of show everybody that last night. Yeah, and it was interesting contrast of 30 seconds of Pepe versus the previous 60 minutes of Daryl DK, who, you know, I'm not sure 100% of that performance is on him because they really weren't trying very hard to get him the ball. But I also don't know that they feel like that's a – I mean, I think – I would think that is a uh, a setup and a run that's in DK's bag, but for whatever reason, never came off in the course of the game. 
But that's kind of Pepe's bread and butter is to is to kind of like bait the center back that's marking him and then turn him and go. And and it, mm-hmm. and to your point, the finish is just so nice. And uh, and I, I'm sure there was a not small percentage of U.S. men's national team people that were like, oh, I didn't know Pepe could do that. Because now yeah. he scored three goals in two games. The header was good. The second goal against Grenada we talked about on Saturday I thought was outstanding to hit it at the near post. So yeah. solid solid stuff from, from Pepe all the way around. And outside of a really rough stint at a bad Augsburg team, he has scored goals everywhere all throughout his career. Anytime he's gotten the opportunity, just the one like bad nine-month stretch at Augsburg cost him a World Cup spot. But look yeah. at everywhere else he's ever been in his career. No matter who he's playing against, no matter what the competition is, the guy just scores goals. And I know a lot of people are excited about Balogun and what he could bring. I just, I just wouldn't sleep on Ricardo Pepe. He's still just 20 years old. Yeah, and he was also repeatedly played out of position on an awful team in Germany, so I'm not 100% yes. sure that's his fault. Plus, he was 20 years old and you know moved to a different country and all the BS that comes along with that. Uh, all right, in the back half of the team, uh, I was so glad to see Miles Robinson back. I, I've seen many people say they thought he was actually man of the match for the team. He was so good. I continue to just do nothing but have a great admiration for Tim Ream. Uh, all of that, uh, those two guys together. Uh, I know that Tim Ream's not for the long haul, but uh, Miles Robinson is absolutely one to keep an eye on. Dude, it, he makes defending look smooth and simple sometimes, right? Like he cut out a counterattack, I remember, and it looked like he never got out of first gear and just kind of glides over, intercepts the ball, makes an easy pass, and then just starts walking again like it was nothing. And yeah, he just makes it look easy, especially coming off of an Achilles injury and this being the first time we've really seen him yeah. with the national team since that injury. Really, really good to see Miles Robinson back out there. And I, you see people in and around Atlanta United talking about this, but most people expect that he'll be playing in a top European league sooner rather than later. I know he's a little bit on the older side now, 25, 26, but gosh, that guy is just, he's really good. And he's one I think that you can kind of, you know, barring any future injuries, kind of begin to pencil in moving forward. It's just an automatic guy that's there in the back line. I, I thought he was fantastic last night. Yeah, I, I, he's one of those guys that uh, I, I eagerly anticipate seeing playing at a different in a different league at a higher level uh, sometime mm-hmm. soon. And when you begin to think about him and if he can ever get healthy Chris Richards playing together, uh, you really start to get pretty excited about the center back pairing for the United R- States. Although, Richards, although, although uh, Tim Ream is is an absolute beast and and is a hero to this uh, to this team, I don't want to discount him either. But his time is is he's not going to be doing this for another few years, right? So we need Chris to hurry up, get healthy, and get in there. Well, I love the idea of Tim Ream setting the standard that whoever is going to supplant him just needs to be better than him, right? Like, I don't want to hand Chris Richards a spot just simply because he's anointed as the next one, right? Uh, go out and be better than Tim Ream, and then you get that spot. Or Cameron Carter-Vickers, who everybody at Celtic is just raving about. There was an article written by a Celtic journalist that talked that compared Cameron Carter-Vickers to Virgil van Dijk from his time there at Celtic, just in terms of impact wow. as a center back there. So... Um, it's nice to have options, right? But one of those guys just needs to be better than Tim Ream, and then you earn that spot. So, uh, but it's it's nice to feel like you actually have some depth and some young players coming through at center back, and you know, very very nice to see Miles Robinson healthy. 
I also thought that uh, Anthony Jedi and Tim, who play together at Fulham, uh, was really on display. There were several moments where uh, Salvador was pressing, El Salvador was pressing, and those guys broke the press. Mostly, I think, because they're just so familiar in playing with each other, uh, passing the ball back and forth. And Dest also had an interesting game. Serginho Dest, a guy who has not played in a long time, a lot of people were surprised that he actually started last night. He's such a fascinating uh, player as a right back, and I, and I haven't quite figured out how the United States is ever going to maximize all of that ridiculous baller that is in him while at the same time figuring out how to deal with the fact that he's just not the greatest defender. It's a weird uh, double-edged sword, if you know what I mean. I don't know how a guy who is from the Netherlands with one American parent somehow ended up with like the soccer spirit of a Brazilian, but that's that's who he is, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, that's he, a great way he, of saying it. He belongs, he really belongs with Brazil. Um, and so the U.S. obviously just has no idea what to do with somebody with that skill set. And I don't think a lot of people do. Like, clearly his club teams haven't really figured it out either. Because uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to end up staying at AC Milan. He's, which means he's going to get sent back to Barcelona and then sent out again somewhere else. Um, which just makes him such a puzzling player to figure out. Because you're right, defensively, he's not the greatest in the world. So you over you try to overcome those deficiencies because what he gives you on the ball is unique and different and special. But I, whereas before it felt like, okay, Dest is the automatic starter. It's just how are you going to piece things around him? I don't necessarily think that's the case anymore. So I do think that there's room for a Brian Reynolds to take a big step forward in the future. And yeah begin to challenge, you know, I, I I don't think that that's as locked down of a spot as maybe it was a year ago, but you know, he's, there was he's a, such a fascinating player. Yeah, there was a moment later in the game, I wish I had written down the minute, where if you ever really want to figure out or s- see a moment of the peak of Serginho Dest, uh, there was this, the, the ball's out on the right-hand side, and he just goes into another dynamic level and begins this passing sequence and you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then he makes just the wrong pass, and it gets intercepted. But to his credit, he makes a uh, at least like a 60-yard recovery run, recovers the ball, and resets play. And I thought that there is like the not the recovery part of it, which is great to see him do, but the dynamic, the dynamics of his play and the capability of how that guy can actually ball out. In the, in the early moments of that sequence to me is like, okay, that's why we got to keep trying to figure out how to use this guy. Because I just don't think there's anybody else on the team that knows that can or knows how to do that. Do you know I, what I'm talking I, about? Yeah, I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about in the game. And I also think it's important to remember that, I mean, because it feels like he's been around now for three or four years and we've been talking about him for so long, uh, he's, he's still just 22. And so I think that there's a maturity level that he will – attain i think he'll find a spot where that he he kind of makes his own at a club and then i think yeah. we begin to really unlock that version of Serginho desk but you can imagine and it's what makes it so tantalizing you can imagine the conversations we were having earlier about geo just being a step ahead of his teammates sometimes but then you pair that with the Serginho desk that has that kind of technical ability and that skill like what you're mentioning now and you start to see maybe the pieces of what could be just a really fun pairing down the right side if those guys kind of continue to mature and develop at the way that we think that they can. Uh, that's really exciting to think about. 
All right. Uh, I, I, I'm going to pull uh, go back to the uh, bulletin board and pull out this pin. Hugo Perez. Yes. Is that not somebody we should be having a conversation about as the new manager for the United States? Because I'm telling you, I think he's he is working miracles with the El Salvadorian team. That team plays way more organized and better under him than I've seen them in a long time. I think you're right. I, I personally, personally, I th- I think so. Right? Like I think that that's a guy that should be in contention for it. I, I don't. I doubt he is. Right. Well, just because well, no, of... I don't know, but he checks so many boxes for me because I've repeatedly said yeah. what I don't want is a, just another American with no international experience, even if that person's Jesse Marsh. And what I don't want is some sort of weirdo international name that's going to cost them a kajillion dollars, like a Thierry Henry or a, a Vieira or you know somebody who's just going to spend all their time complaining about how terrible the soccer structure is in the United States and is keeping them from winning games and so Perez for me kind of checks all those boxes and I hadn't really even thought about that until last night when I was watching his team play he he's a he's a legend within the program uh he's got international experience he knows the players man I, I I'm not sure he's now my favorite candidate now that I think about it for the job favorite candidate is a big statement that's a really big statement but well, I haven't really I like had it. one, to be honest with you, Tyler, up till, I mean, again, because I couldn't ever think of anybody that kind of filled out all those things that I had been looking for as a, as a managerial candidate. Does he not bring maybe some of the same things that made, or maybe made you, it made me excited about the possibility of it being Oscar Perea when they ended up yes. going with Greg Berhalter. The idea that it could be Oscar, and I think that the thing, it always felt like Burhalter. It was the system over the players, right? It was how are, how can I get the players to fit how I want to play and this you know this system of doing things. And he and Ernie Stewart both wanted to kind of implement the Dutch style of doing things four three three, and we're gonna disrupt with the ball and that sort of thing. Whereas Perea's <laughs> biggest strength has always been making the most of whatever you have and putting players in the best possible positions to succeed. And I think that at a national team level, that is what I would like to lean into a little bit more than say, you know, we're going to revolutionize the way that the U.S. plays soccer. I think that we've advanced as a player pool and you can you can make an argument that a guy that's just going to come in and make sense, you know, that's just going yeah. to do the basics well is what this team needs because there's just so much talent that sometimes maybe less complicated and more just you know, here's a here's a structure of how we're going to do things. Go and make some stuff happen. We have the players to do that now. Yeah, I hope he wants the gig, and I hope they consider him. Um, I I do worry that there's so there's such a large percentage of the fan base that are new enough to the game that that they just like question marks over their head. Why would they hire this guy? Because they don't know his history and background with the U.S. national team. Um, I don't know. I just I, I thought about this overnight, and uh, and the more I thought about it, I thought, man, that actually makes sense. Because like you, a couple of days ago, I was thinking to myself, are we not talking enough about Oscar Perea as an option? Because I agree, that's yeah. always somebody that I had thought about. But again, Oscar doesn't have international experience. That is one of the boxes he didn't check for me. Um, Hugo just tends to check all of them. He's bilingual. Um, the players would respect him. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. I just think that's a, an interesting one we need to think about and ponder on and maybe encourage whoever ends up getting hired as sporting director to at least 
have a conversation with. I would love to hear our buddy uh, John Arnold's thoughts on this because uh, nobody covers uh, Hugo Perez yes. and CONCACAF quite like John. I bet he has some big opinions on this. I would love what to What do you hear. think John's opinion would be? I think he would be in favor of it, but John is also, I, I think, a realist in the same way that you are and you're, you're talking about is is this enough for the fan base and for the federation? And I think that the federation is probably putting too many eggs in the we're building up to 2026 basket. And does Hugo Perez excite anybody? I'm telling you, man. More so I, than is he the right coach for the job, right? Um, yeah, I, that, that, that does worry me that they're going to finally find somebody to take that sporting director job, and that person is going to get obsessed with hiring the most flashy big name they possibly can that makes as many people on soccer Twitter happy and, yeah. and punches likes than actually getting the right guy. And that would be the thing. Yeah, you're right. That does bother me about that. Yeah, we're going to end up with <sighs> right. Mourinho or Zidane or something like you know. Yeah, and it'll be entertaining, but okay. We'll and then, uh, and then uh, to uh, punctuate the entire uh, evening is the I, maybe this is just the old man Gen X in me uh, the uh, gender reveal moment with Matt Turner. <laughs> have you seen that? Like, oh, I have. come on, I have. really? Is this what we're doing now? We're kicking soccer balls to reveal the gender of your baby. Uh, I, I know that makes me sound really ancient and and crummy. And grumpy, but I, I don't know. Well, congratulations to Matt Turner on his baby girl that he's about to have. I, so when I saw that they were doing this, I was like, oh, okay, it's going to, you know, first kid, you kind of do a big thing or whatever. But no, they already have a kid. And so I was like, oh. Oh, okay, they do? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why it mattered to me whether or not it was the first kid, but it did. When I saw it was the second kid, I was like, oh, we're making too big of a deal out of this. All right. So here, here in my head, just to kind of get him off the hook, in my head, what happened was his wife handed him the ball and said, you are going to do this after the game. And he was like, yes, dear, I'll do it. Yeah, okay, and, okay. Because yeah. he's a good, dutiful husband, and he didn't want to disappoint. And he went ahead and didn't, and it, it turned into a, a social media moment. So, yeah, Or somebody yeah. made him do it. Like, in my mind, Matt was like, did, w- didn't want to do it because he recognized how weirdo, uh, uh, I don't know, too much sharing <laughs> these days. Tyler, oh, man. Just too much sharing these days. Some things just need to stay... Ah. I don't know. <laughs> Old man corded, yells at Cloud. Where's my corded telephone and my yellow pages <laughs> and my 411? Uh, been- all right, Tyler, anything else about uh, USA 1 El Salvador 0? USA now goes into the final group of the Nations League uh, tournament, which I think is pl- being played in Vegas. Did I hear that correct? Is that where they're going to play the, the final that, games? Is in Vegas? That is correct. That is correct. I copied whatever Paul Tenorio said about this. Uh, yeah, do whatever USA Paul has- says. USA heads to Vegas on June 15th through the 18th for the Nations League semifinal and a final looking to defend its title. Yeah, so Las Vegas in June. It'll be hot. Vegas and well, no, because they'll be in inside oh, yeah, that in uh, crazy hockey puck of a stadium. Uh, so that is in June. Uh, I, I'd be interesting to see if Tyler Adams is healthy by then. Boy, that'll be pushing it. I, I, I'm interested to know how severe that that hamstring surgery actually was but if they cut yeah. on him that's not good that's sewing stuff back up and that's that's a that's a recovery all right anything else you want to yeah. touch on about the game that i didn't get to tyler young tyler kern i don't think so but also i'm excited that for like the 20 things i'm going to think about between now and saturday we get to do a show again on saturday together we so, do you know uh 
I'm going to take some dutiful notes as I think about things throughout the week. Uh, we're going to have a great show. Okay. Awesome. I love it. I hate I love those it. kits. I loved the El Salvador kits. I thought that was by Umbro. I thought the design in the background was really nice. Uh, I dug those quite a bit. I, I think Umbro wait. and Umbro ahead, and Adidas sorry. are putting Umbro and Adidas are putting putting Nike to shame right now. I think, anyways. I I don't know of a time where I have loathed the both uh, first and second kits for the United States more than this current uh, uh, pairing that we have. If they even yep. if they had won the World Cup, I still wouldn't have bought either one of those kits. I hate them so much. Um, Agreed. And I and I swear that's true. All right, Tyler, thanks for carving out some time to talk about the game and I'm looking forward to spending a couple of hours with you on Saturday on L Ticket. All right, my friend? Love you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, love you too. Have a great week. Uh, we P1s, we will talk to you on Saturday at that time. We love and adore you. Get stuck in and win your 50s. Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents. We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more.